What is up, Miami Dolphin fans? Welcome to another episode of the Same Old Dolphin Show. This is Aaron the Brain flying solo, doing my own thing. Josh couldn't make it, so I'm here to fly solo and give you my take on the latest happenings of the Miami Dolphins uh, as we are now about a week and a half into training camp. They've got a scrimmage coming up tomorrow as I record this on Friday afternoon. The first scrimmage coming up tomorrow at Hard Rock Stadium. I wish that I was in South Florida and I could go hang out and catch that scrimmage live or see it on TV, but I don't think it's being televised locally and I'm not going to be able to to be down there. I'm in Tampa. I was actually in South Florida last week spending some time with the family down there. If I had planned it accordingly, if I guess if birthdays lined up in the right way, I could have potentially been there for this weekend. Not necessarily sure that that would have gone over too well with my wife or the in-laws or any of my family in South Florida. So I don't know that I still would have made it to the scrimmage, but it's going to be impossible for me to make it down there this weekend. But I will be following the reports carefully real quick before I go into too much detail. Just want to point out that the same old Dolphin Show is part of the Dolphins.com podcast network, your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins. So we got a lot to get into because we're a little more than a week into camp and it's exciting. There's actual football to talk about, not necessarily, you know, Dolphins versus an opponent, but we get to actually see guys out there performing, see these positional battles, see the progression of some of these young guys, and see who has taken the inside track on earning a spot onto the Dolphins 53 roster when the season opens up in uh, in about a month. Uh, So we'll get right into it. Look, the story of camp, and it's going to be the story of the entire season in all likelihood, it's the quarterback battle. It's Fitzpatrick versus Rosen, and we heard it throughout minicamp that Fitzpatrick was just worlds ahead, light years ahead of Josh Rosen, that Rosen was really struggling uh, to, to pick up the grasp of the offense, even struggling with you know, some accuracy issues and that Fitzpatrick looked every bit the part of the starting quarterback from a leadership aspect uh, to also on the field play. And that continued to be the story going into camp as Fitzpatrick from all accounts just looks like a pro uh, just is out there early working on routes with receivers He looks like he's got a grasp of things. He anticipates every throw and he just looks confident and competent back there. Everything that you would expect from a 15 year vet in this league, a guy in Fitzpatrick that, you know, you, you could say that he's one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the league, but I think to a man, everybody would admit that if Ryan Fitzpatrick is your starting quarterback, you've at the very least got a competent starting quarterback. And that's what he's looked like so far uh, throughout camp. Josh Rosen, you can't say that as a whole. Uh, Camp started out really rough for him. Lots of accuracy issues. uh, Lots of 
uh, problems going through his progressions, a lot of checkdowns on seven on sevens, and just a lot of inconsistency, which has kind of been the trademark for Josh Rosen throughout, really go back to his college days when he was really highly touted, but he would just be inconsistent. He would show you these flashes of brilliance and then things would kind of break down. And that's kind of what we've seen. And, uh, and honestly, we, we've seen less brilliance, less of those flashes and more of the trub- troubling inaccuracies and, and really uh, failures from him at the quarterback position so far in camp. But I will say, following these reports on a daily basis, it does seem like the last two days of camp now, they practiced in the bubble today, so... I haven't had any reports of what's going on. No, you know, no, apparently nobody's seen it. I don't know who exactly who gets access to these practices. If it's just the team, if any media at all gets, uh, to be privy to what goes on inside the bubble, but they were inside the bubble today. So no news on the goings on in camp from today, but it seemed like the last two days, Josh Rosen has had his two best days of camp. One day he vastly outperformed Ryan Fitzpatrick and today and yesterday on Thursday's practice, it seemed like both of them played exceptionally well and Rosen had his best day, uh, in a Dolphins jersey, at least in training camp because, well, let's face it, he hasn't played a real game yet and, uh, we're still a little bit of a ways out there. Even, even to get to a preseason game because you've got the scrimmage tomorrow. Uh, and I think that's just a glorified practice. Yes, you're going to be in front of fans and you're going to be in the stadium and that's great. But, uh, scrimmage is not a game. Uh, but you hope that what this is, is Josh Rosen turning a corner. You hope that he is now starting to relax and starting to pick things up and start to learn what he is supposed to do to get through these progressions. He's been more aggressive the last two days. He's been letting it rip. He has been uh, making the right decisions and putting the ball where it's supposed to be, which ultimately is the most important thing for a quarterback to do. And he's he threw a couple of great deep balls, apparently, at these last couple of practices. So it's exciting because... Let's face it, the biggest storyline for the Dolphins this season is whether or not Josh Rosen ends up becoming the franchise quarterback. And while he's still got a long way to go, and he is still, by all accounts, substantially behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for the starting quarterback job, if he has turned a corner and if he is starting to take that next step, things could begin to tighten and it, and you want that race to tighten as we get into the preseason because ultimately the the biggest thing between these two is we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. We absolutely know he's a competent quarterback, but he's never he's not going to take you anywhere. He's not the answer for the future. He's just a guy that was brought in to be a steady hand so you can kind of evaluate everything else on the roster at least on the offensive side of the ball in the event that Josh Rosen is just a, an abject failure or in the event that we didn't end up bring in a Josh Rosen, which that was not a, a definite thing going into the draft. There was certainly the possibility that we didn't draft a quarterback at all, in which case you'd still want to have a competent quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick back there. So you can evaluate everything around him. And that's why Fitzpatrick is here. But for Rosen, 
Rosen has a steep hill to climb, but it's a cl- it's a climb that could potentially happen. Any progression that you see with Ryan Fitzpatrick is just going to come with, you know, familiarity with the offense, the system, the players around him. With Josh Rosen, it's more than that. It's not just the system, the players around him. It's also learning how to be a professional quarterback. It's also learning things in the classroom and still learning how to play the quarterback position at this level. And as he learns those things that Ryan Fitzpatrick has known for over a decade, you should see that progression with Josh Rosen come, you know, he he's, he should get a lot better than where he is now versus Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick, who should stay relatively the same from the start of camp to the end of camp. Of course, you know, he, he should get a little bit more comfortable with the system and the players around him, but he is what he is. You want to see Josh Rosen start to take that step and show you signs that he has that higher ceiling because that is why he is here to find out if he has that high ceiling that we hope he has to potentially be a franchise quarterback. We started to see it for a couple of days. It's just a couple of days. It could very easily be a blip on the radar, but it is encouraging to see that he had not just one great day, but he followed it up with another one. We don't know what's going on in the bubble, but I'm very anxious to see or hear how it goes at the scrimmage because if Josh Rosen goes out and balls out and plays just as well, if not better than Fitzpatrick at the scrimmage, then we may have a legit quarterback competition on our hands, and I think that's what every Dolphins fan wants to hear. So aside from... The quarterback battle, which is, as I said, the number one story and it's going to be the number one story probably all camp and all season. The offensive line. Uh, the offensive line struggled in minicamp. It struggled the first couple of days of camp. And then we got news that the Dolphins made a change at the coaching staff. Brian Flores let go of Pat Flaherty, the offensive line coach. And promoted Dave Guglielmo, who was brought in as the assistant offensive line coach. And he will now take over as the main guy uh, in charge of the offensive line. Now, as far as the coaching staff decision goes, um, I got a little bit of blowback on Twitter because I saw that everybody was just praising this move. And they're saying... Look, kudos to Brian Flores for spotting out a problem and saying, look, this just isn't working and it's not going to fly and we're going to make a change immediately. I think it's an excellent, uh, an excellent precedent to set that, look, if things aren't being done the right way and they're not being done in an acceptable fashion, we're going to step in immediately and correct it. That's just behaviorism 101. That's coaching 101. And I love to see that. And he should be commended for that. All I'm saying is that there are two sides to it. Yes, it's a good thing that he noticed a problem and jumped right in and fixed it. But you also have to acknowledge that there was a problem there. And you have to acknowledge that if you're firing a guy 
just a few months after hiring him and you're firing him just a few days into training camp, you have to also accept that that was not a good hire. And all I'm saying is we're talking about a first-time coach, first-time head coach, who first time he's put his staff together and a few days into training camp, he's having to fire somebody. You have to call into question a little bit the inexperience there and the fact that you know, maybe he didn't do the best vetting when deciding to hire Pat Flaherty in the first place if you're going to go ahead and fire him this early on. Now, I got some people saying, well, you know, they hired Pat Flaherty and then a couple weeks later they hired Dave Guglielmo and, you know, Brian Flores said it was a gut decision that he kind of felt all along that Dave Guglielmo might be the better fit for the job. And that might be so. And again, I'm not saying it's a bad a bad fire. I think if the guy's not getting the job done and there's somebody else that's going to do a better job, you make that decision and the, and you go with it and you have conviction and I think that that is a great precedent to set. I just think you also have to acknowledge that it was a bad hire and you also have to question, well, you know, why did they hire him in the first place? And if if this guy couldn't implement what you wanted in Chad O'Shea's offense, well, shouldn't that have been something that you talked about in the interview process that you figured out before you gave him the job? So I I do think there's some growing pains there. Obviously, I think it's a bigger positive than it is a negative, just to be clear. But I don't think that as a fan base, we need to just give Brian Flores a pass on absolutely everything. If something is negative, you got to say, look, this is negative. If it's a, there's more positive, great. There's a bigger positive than there is a negative, but that does not mean that the negative ceases to exist. Too often you see it. I, I, I think it happens in all fan bases, but as a Dolphins fan, I feel like it happens every single time we have a new coach. Every single time we have a new coach, that first year, he can do no wrong. Everything is positive. We we eat up everything he says with a spoon. Everything he does, it's like, oh, this guy's a genius. He's a guru, as we all said about Adam Gase. Uh, you know, and we just we just refuse to say anything negative. And then lo and behold, a few years later, when things have not gone the way that we wanted them to or expected them to and we end up being the same old dolphins it all becomes revisionist history where we look back at things and we go ah he didn't really know what he was doing from the get-go he was doing this bad and he was doing this bad and i just think it's important for us as a fan base to learn finally learn after all of these regime changes these front office changes these coaching changes Let's look at things objectively and let's not be afraid to say when something negative happens, hey, it might not be the worst thing in the world. It might not be the the, the biggest negative in the world, but let's call it like it is. If there's positives, great. Let's call those as they are too, but let's not just oversee the negatives. And what I'll say is, is that reports are from camp since Dave Guglielmo has taken over. The communication seems to be better on the offensive line. The intensity with which the offensive line is practicing seems to be at a different level, whether that's because of Dave Guglielmo or because 
The offensive line coach just got fired, which is always going to light a fire under the players' asses. Uh, that remains to be seen. We'll see if it's a, if it's something that is sustainable or if this is just a little bump that you see from, you know, that you always see when you make any kind of coaching change that just kind of gets everybody's attention and says, hey, if you're not doing things the right way, we're going to make changes on the staff. We're going to make changes with the players. You're either going to do things the right way or you're going to be out of here. We'll see. I, I, I love that as, uh, as an attitude and I love that as the precedent that Brian Flores is setting, uh, with the organization. And I love that it's not just the players being held accountable, but also the coaches. As we've seen, uh, <laughs> the reports are that he's got coaches running to the TNT wall, the takes no talent wall, uh, virtually every practice. So look, everybody's being held accountable. And I love that. And I, and honestly, I will say as much as I don't want to hear it because I hear it from every, from, from the fan base, every time there's a new coach, it does seem like there is a different attitude and a different energy with this coaching staff than there has been in, in previous staffs. It seems like for the first time since probably the Nick Saban era, the Dolphins have a staff that is both a disciplinarian staff, but also a teaching staff. And I think that is just absolutely vital for what the Dolphins are trying to install because they're trying to install a foundation on which to build around. And the foundation has to be set with, you're going to teach, everybody's going to be, we're going to be a smart, disciplined football team. And then from there, everything else builds around it. So I, I really like it. Uh, it remains to see, it remains to be seen whether or not this translates to wins on the football field, but gun to my head, do I like what's going on right now? I like what's going on. Just think when there is a negative, you just can't overlook it as the the Dolphins fan base tends to be just eternally optimistic. And I just think we got to, we got to try to be a little bit more objective as a fan base. And you would think with a fan base that, or with a team, a franchise that has been so irrelevant for darn near 15, 20 years and so mediocre, uh, you would think it'd be darn near impossible to have a rosy outlook on things. But this fan base just, just always, when you get to this time of year, it just always seems like, Hey, we're going to be better than everybody thinks. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to be a Super Bowl team in a couple of years. I hope that that's right. I don't, I'm not saying that the fan base really believes that this time around. I think this is one of the few years, uh, in my Dolphins fandom that I actually feel like the fan base doesn't have expectations and actually expects it to be a struggle, which is an interesting experience. Uh, and I think it's a good experience, but I think just because you think that this year is going to be a struggle, that doesn't give you a pass to say, well, the coach gets a pass. Uh, you still got to call out the coach when, when something negative happens. So that's important. Now, uh, Outside of the quarterback and the offensive line, the rest of the offense in training camp, I think one of the big stories is the wide receiving core. Devon, look, it's been the story ever since he was drafted. Devontae Parker just seems to be that guy in practice, that number one guy that the Dolphins have been craving, that, that we've been missing, that elite number one receiver. He's got the body. He's got the first round pedigree. He's got the speed, the measurables. He's got... The, the, the few games where he's looked unguardable 
And then he's got the vast majority of his professional career so far where he either can't stay healthy or he just disappears or he's just completely underwhelming. Devontae Parker remains an enigma, but he's doing it again. He is the absolute star of the offense in this training camp. And you hope that he's going to turn the corner, but I think... I know Josh, I know where Josh lies on this. He's just like, look, I don't want to hear about Devontae Parker until he does it in the regular season for a sustained amount of time. And until he does, I'm just tired of hearing about it in practice. And I, I got to agree. I like it. It seems like, look, we've been down this road so many times before. How can you get fooled again? But if you're going to call it like you see it, if the guys do, if, if the guy is the, your standout on offense, then you just got to call it and you just got to say, look, the guy is getting the job done. Now, whether or not he's going to do it in the games, that's the big question with this guy. He's just, he's got that reputation right now on this team and in the league as a guy that's just not a gamer that when, when the lights go on in the regular season, he's just not going to be a guy that you can consistently rely on. He He's a guy that might show up on any given week, but he's just not going to be a guy that you can consistently rely on. We hope that he's finally going to get there this year, but I you really can't bank on it, and I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, if I was you, I'm not holding mine. I feel obviously you'd rather him look good in practice than look bad, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Like Josh said, until he does it in the regular season and does it consistently with sustainability outside of Devontae Parker. Look, Jakeem Grant is doing his thing. He is routinely getting open. He getting open deep. But he's kind of 50-50 when you throw the ball to him as far as whether or not he's going to come down with it. And that's that's kind of the knock on him. Like, he's a big play waiting to happen, but he's not consistent when it comes to hands. And if you can't catch the ball, then you're not really helping out. I think Jakeem Grant is kind of what he is. I, I know a few uh, people that are, are really high on Jakeem Grant and feel that he could actually be uh, a de facto number one receiver uh, on this team that he could really have a breakout year. I think he's a guy that can flash at times and, and come up with big plays, but I just think he's not going to be a guy that uh, it, that you're going to consistently target and, and rely upon. I just think he's a guy that uh, I think he'll, he could be the most consistent deep ball guy on the roster, which takes me to the other deep ball guy who probably is our most consistent receiver just in every aspect of, of the game. Uh, and that's Kenny Stills because Kenny Stills just does everything for us. He's not an elite receiver. He's not a number one receiver, but he's the most consistent, reliable receiver that we have on the roster. And look, if, if Devontae Parker could, become that elite guy that we all want him to become. I think Kenny Stills stands to be the guy that benefits the most from it because right now, Kenny Stills is the guy that gets everybody's best corner. He's the one that's getting the most attention from the opposing defense because he's the guy that is the most reliable for the Dolphins. But if that becomes Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills 
becomes an extremely dangerous number number two receiver. And that's where I think he is best suited to be. And so it's exciting. Again, it's a huge if as to whether or not Devontae Parker ends up being that guy. And I, like I said, I wouldn't hold my breath. But if he is, I think you could end up with a special year from... From Kenny Stills. Albert Wilson hasn't done a lot, hasn't done any team drills so far. He's just kind of getting himself back into shape. It's good that he's not on the pup, that he is participating in individual drills. He is working on his conditioning, and that has you confident as we get closer to the preseason that he will eventually get in there and you'll see him and Jakeem Grant wreaking havoc with their with their speed and quick twitch ability. Um, those are the four guys that we know are on this roster. Uh, those four guys are making the team. Now, for much of the offseason, we've projected that probably going to keep five receivers, that you brought in all these tight ends, you're going to play with a fullback, probably not going to be room for six receivers. So when we signed Alan Hearns off the scrap heap, it seemed like, well, you, you signed Alan Hearns, he probably is going to end up making the roster uh, cause he's a, he's a veteran. You're giving him some, some money. It's not, you know, one of these minimum deals. Uh, so it, it would seem like he's got an inside track to make the roster. But I'll tell you, it, from all the reports, it sounds like Preston Williams has been the guy, uh, to, you know, the undrafted free agent from Colorado State that uh, he's gotten some work with the number ones. He's got this ridiculous catch radius. He's shown up at the goal line. He's got great hands. He seems to be the guy that is that makes the most sense to, because he's got the upside, because he is young, because he is talented. That's the guy that you want if you're going to only have five receivers for him to be the fifth receiver, not a guy that has a low ceiling. But that opens up the idea that maybe... There's room for a sixth receiver on this roster because not only is Alan Hearns there, uh, in addition to uh, Stills, Wilson, Grant, and Parker, but you've also got Isaiah Ford, who seems to have the best rapport with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they're out there before and after practice working on drills. And Isaiah Ford is a guy who flashed with this team last year in in uh, in the preseason, and uh, I think he's got a, he's got a decent shot to to make the team. Now maybe maybe it's five guys and a, and a practice squad spot, but I think uh, you might end up with six receivers on the on the active roster. Uh, and Isaiah Ford is certainly making a case. It does seem like Bryce Butler, after a couple of good days to start camp, has kind of fallen to the wayside. But another name that I'm really intrigued by, and I really want to see this guy, uh, whether it's the scrimmage or once the preseason starts, Trenton Irwin, the rookie out of Stanford. They say the guy uh, is quick. He catches everything thrown at him. And look, he's, he's a white guy. And he, so he's getting those comparisons to those white receivers that have, uh, succeeded in New England. So your Julian Edelman's, your Wes Welkers, your Chris Hogan's, he's drawing that comparison. But look, 
if the guy could get open and the guy can catch passes, there, there, there's no reason that there can't be a, a spot on the roster for him. Again, you also have to take into consideration, we don't know what the long-term future is for guys like Kenny Stills and Devontae Parker on this roster. So if you've got a young receiver that you can put on, that can make this roster, whether he's as a six receiver or as a guy that you could stash on your practice squad, look, if, if they've got some upside and there's a plan for him going forward, it would not be the worst thing in the world. So look out for those guys. I'm really interested to see what those guys do in the scrimmage and in the preseason. The running back situation, the big news of the week was uh, Kalen Balaj going off with an undisclosed injury. Um, Kenyon Drake still doing his thing with the number ones. Uh, but the first man up, that was kind of who's going to be the, the, fir- the next man up after Drake and Balaj. And right now, it looks to be Mark Walton, the University of Miami alum. Um, he seems to be getting the first crack, uh, and he's been impressing at least to, to some degree. Um, and then after him, it's, it's of course Miles Gaskin and Patrick Laird. Right now, the word out of camp is that Patrick Laird has a slight edge over Miles Gaskin. Broke uh, free on a big run at uh, Thursday's practice. We'll see how that battle heats up. That's probably going to be the big battle because you're probably going to get three halfbacks, three tailbacks, and a fullback that are going to make this team. You know that Kenyon Drake's spot is safe. You know that Kalen Balaj's spot is safe. Of course, uh, bearing that they are healthy. Who's going to be the third tailback? And then, of course, you assume that uh, that Chandler Cox is going to make this roster as the fullback and then kind of in, in that H-back role, kind of uh, sometimes a fullback, sometimes a tight end, that kind of role. And so between Walton, Laird, and Gaskin, probably only enough room for one of them maybe a practice spot uh, a practice squad spot available but you know the danger of the practice squad is you put somebody on that practice squad and they could get poached by another team so we'll see what happens with the running backs the defensive side of the ball this has been the strength of training camp uh obviously the quarterbacks are the biggest story but outside of the quarterbacks just the entirety of this defense uh, in training camp had seemingly been the story. The defensive line has absolutely dominated the offensive line. The linebackers, with the emergence of Sam Aguavian, the rookies, uh, Andrew Van Ginkle and Terrell Hanks, even with, with Kiko Alonso sitting out, uh, between those three guys and Raquan McMillan and Jerome Baker being absolutely everywhere, it looks like for the first time in a long time, the Dolphins actually have solved their linebacking issues and that we have a legit linebacking core. And if the defensive line is actually as good as advertised, then the Dolphins might have a really great front seven for the first time since Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor were together on the same roster. So we're talking... You know, late 90s, early 2000s, the Dave Wanstead era. That's how far we're talking 15 years since the Dolphins have had a really great front seven. And we may have that. And it's exciting, but 
you here's the thing <laughs> you've got to take this with a grain of salt because you can't you can't just look at it and say well the offensive line is is going to be terrible and the defense but the defensive line looks like it's going to be awesome if the offensive line is going to be terrible then the defensive line should look awesome. And that's that's the thing that I think might be getting glossed over. And we're really not going to know until they stop playing each other and they start playing another team. And that's where I'm excited to see the preseason actually start. Because I am anxious to see, one, how does this offensive line look against another defensive line? And how does this defensive line look against another offensive line? Because it could very well just be the case that the Dolphins have arguably the worst offensive line in the league, in which case nothing that the defensive line is doing is overly impressive. And that's something before everybody gets all excited about how great this defensive line is doing in training camp in these practices and in this scrimmage. Keep in mind that they're going up against the Dolphins offensive line, which as we've seen over the years can make any defensive line look spectacular. I am I am excited about the linebacking core though. Uh, I do trust what I'm hearing uh from from the beat guys, from some of the other guys from from Travis Wingfield of Locked On Dolphins who just does an amazing job breaking everything down and he's like his Twitter feed will give you Every, I mean, you feel like you're at practice if you're following his Twitter feed. So I'm sure if you're listening to us, you already know well, you're probably well versed in, in what a great job he does over there at Locked On Dolphins. He's just, he, he's, in my opinion, I mean, look, we, we love what we do and we love, you know, what everybody at dolphinstalk.com does and, you know, but we're, we're, we're the fans. We're giving you, we're trying to give you the educated fan, uh, fans opinion on what's going on. Uh, but he's like a whole other level, man. I mean, with his, with his knowledge and the way that he, the time that he puts in breaking things down, both in film, on film, and now in person at training camp, like give him a follow and you're going to learn a lot about, about this team and about football in general. Um, so I, I trust him when he's talking about how good these linebackers look. And I trust him when talking about how good some of these defensive backs look, which is another exciting, uh, it's, it's another exciting thing to come out of this training camp because you're getting, you're seeing what you want and what you expect out of Xavier Howard and Minka Fitzpatrick. That's awesome. You, you don't, you're not seeing any negative from them. And that's great because you expect them to be great. What you didn't know is what you were going to see from everybody else. We're seeing that uh, Bobby McCain has been permanently moved to safety. He's playing that that center field single high free safety. Uh, so that's gonna he's gonna play that position. That's gonna enable whether it's Rashad Jones or T.J. McDonald or whoever else. Those guys are not free safeties. They don't have to play free safety. Thank God because it was an adventure the last two years with those guys playing together because great they can come up and they can they can help in the run but they can't cover a lick downfield and it was just a disaster waiting to happen and that that freaking Texans game last year on on Thursday night where they just kept picking at it every every single time and it was big play after big play Hopefully we will not see that. We'll see a much better scheme and we'll be, and we'll see players put in positions where they can actually succeed on this defense. So that's exciting. And what's, 
exciting is that not only is he taking to that role, but it's actually it's freed up this role for for TJ McDonald when they go into dime or quarter packages where he's playing up around the line of scrimmage basically as this this dollar linebacker where he is just snuffing out screens, attacking the line, just just playing like a it's not really center field, but like a shallow center field kind of just kind of like playing the role of a linebacker, but in so much space where it, it helps to be, you know, to have a defensive back who, who's going to be able to cover because he can cover and he seems to really be taking to this role. And that's exciting because this was a guy that we weren't sure was even going to have a role on this team. And it seems like not only does he have a role, but it's a role that he's excelling at. And that is just. That it could mean, look, I don't want to get too excited because again, they are going up against the Dolphins offense, but it seems like all of the pieces are coming together. And that's without looking at Eric Rowe, who seems to be taking to the number two corner spot. And then Patman, the, the corner, Tyler Patman that they picked up. Uh, just before training camp from Jacksonville, he seems to be doing a nice job as kind of the backup boundary corner to both Rowe and Howard and Fitzpatrick, kind of your, your fourth corner on the roster. It seems like all of the pieces are kind of coming together and that somehow this Dolphins defense that we didn't really think had any depth might actually be pretty good and might actually have some decent depth to it if this defense is better if the look the defense should be better than it was last year just because competent coaching but you also have got guys that are younger that I mean essentially Raekwon McMillan was a rookie last year his second year but he didn't play at all his first year Jerome Baker was a rookie last year Minka Fitzpatrick was a rookie last year those three guys should all take big steps this year. In addition to that, Xavier Howard just became an elite corner last season. You expect nothing but the same out of him. And you add in competent coaching and you add in an influx of more talent. This defense should be significantly better than it was last year. And, and I got to tell you, if this defense is significantly better, I mean, what, what are we talking? Are we talking a top 15 defense? Are we talking the potential of top 10 defense? I want to wait and see to see what this defensive line looks like against an, oppo- an, an actual opponent. But if that defensive line and linebacking core is as advertised, I got to tell you, I'm starting to think that the Dolphins have a top 10 defense as a ceiling. I, I, at least a top 15 defense, at least, you know, not a terrible defense, maybe in that 15 to 20 range. But I get the feeling that they might have the potential of being a top 10 defense. Uh, the offense, it might be a struggle, but if you've got a top 15 defense, you can win a lot of games if you just play smart and you protect the ball and you play smart, dis- disciplined football, which again is the MO of this Brian Flores uh, coaching staff. So with that, I'm going to close with a question that we received uh, on Twitter from from Austin Dobbins at Austin D1316. He says, I personally believe Rosen has the potential to be the future. 
But if we produce another mediocre season, does he stay or do we still make a move at the draft? In which case we let Rosen, do we let Rosen and another QB battle it out or does Rosen get his job? I want to preface this by saying, as I get excited about the defense, I get more and more scared that where we're heading is a mediocre season, a same old Dolphin season, a seven and nine season. Because I think if you get just competent quarterback play, you get protecting the football, but you get solid defense, like top 10, top 15 defense, you're going to win some games that people don't expect you to win. And then when the offense does have a good game, you're going to end up, you're going to end up over, you're going to end up beating some of those other teams that you feel like are, are a step above you. And so it makes me feel like, you know, you know, if this Dolphins defense is legit, that maybe the floor of this team isn't that two and 14, three and 13 that everybody's been talking about. And that the floor of this team might be closer to five and 11. And that if the floor is five and 11 and the ceiling is eight and eight, that you might be looking at a six and 10 or a seven and nine. And if the defense is really solid and Josh Rosen is bad and you still manage to go five and 11, um, I mean, you're still probably with, with the draft capital and being five and 11, you're still probably putting yourself into a spot where you, where you can address the quarterback. But this is the bottom line. One, one of three things is going to happen at the end of this season. You're either going to know that Josh Rosen is the starting quarterback and the franchise quarterback. You're going to know that he is not the franchise quarterback, or you're going to be unsure. And save for option A, where he has shown you beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is that guy, the Dolphins need to address the quarterback issue. They're just, you have to. And the fact that Josh Rosen is under contract at a value where he's making a little over a million dollars for the next three seasons, you're not in a spot where you can't uh, address the quarterback issue. And you're also not in a spot where you have to cut Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen is going to be on this roster, whether he's good or bad, because at the very least, he's a guy that can be battling for the backup quarterback spot. And he's a, he's a cheap backup quarterback option. Um, and you go out and you bring in a young quarterback and maybe that young quarterback, even though he's got a higher ceiling than Josh Rosen, maybe he's not ready to take over day one, you know, in 2020. And as we go in, when we go into 2020, you better believe it. This is the rebuilding year. This is the year of no expectations, but next year there will be ramped up expectations, no matter what, whether they draft a new quarterback or not next year. The expectation is we've got cap space. We're, now we're not going to necessarily spend it frivolously, but we're going to have another draft under our belts. We're going to have had a full year of implementing Brian Flores' system and this coaching staff system. We're going to be better and we're going to try to build that foundation of being a, a perennial playoff contender, championship contender. And that all starts next year, no matter what happens this year and no matter what happens at the quarterback position. So even if we draft a quarterback, even if Josh Rosen doesn't do great, if he has a mediocre season, as Austin says, and 
we still go out and we bring in another quarterback, which we should, because again, we should not ignore, we, we should go out there and try to get in, get a, a rookie quarterback in next year's draft, regardless, unless Josh Rosen absolutely wows us this year, then you can let him battle it out. And look, if Josh Rosen wins, maybe that's Josh Rosen becoming the franchise quarterback next year. Um, if Josh Rosen wins, but the other guy still ends up being good, well, then you've got a Drew Brees, Philip Rivers situation or a Tom Brady. Uh, and I, I hate to put Josh Rosen in the Tom Brady, ca- uh, comparison, but then you would have, you know, Tom Brady, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, that kind of city. It is not a bad thing to have two start, two good starting quarterbacks on a roster because good starting quarterbacks have a ton of value in this league and it enables you a lot of leverage with your decisions and you, it, it really, it's just, it's, it's a great thing to have. So whether it's Josh Rosen or another quarterback next year um again short of Josh Rosen just absolutely wowing us we're bringing in another quarterback but Josh Rosen will still be here and with that I think that's going to just about wrap us up again you got the scrimmage coming tomorrow and we should have a lot of news about who looks good and who looks bad and hopefully no injury news uh, or at least no negative injury news coming out of that it would be awesome if we can get Albert Wilson on the field, Kalen Bellage to come back, uh, and get a couple of these guys, uh, off the, off the pup list. You know, Dwayne Allen, uh, was on the pup list, then was off the pup list, and now he's uh, out of practice. Kiko Alonso has been held out of a few practices. He's actually a guy who, with the emergence of these linebackers, these young linebackers, might have, might, might end up being a surprising cut to this roster, but that remains to be seen. We'll get a lot more news and we'll have a lot more of an idea of how this team looks after this scrimmage. And then even more so once we get into the preseason as these camp battles continue, these positional battles continue and we see the, the evolution of this new era of the Miami Dolphins, this Brian Flores era. And, uh, hopefully it just, a team that continues to learn and get better and more disciplined every day because at the end of the day, as much as some of us may want to see the Dolphins tank, it sure would be nice to see the Dolphins put together a successful product on the field this fall. So for the absent Josh Amplified to Rock, this is Aaron the Brain. This is another episode of the same old Dolphin Show. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Go Dolphins! Dolphins!